Good morning. It's a delight to be with you this morning and to be able to share from God's Word as we continue in our, our series through Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Uh, my name is Scott Barfoot, and Debbie and I and our family, we've been here. In fact, our kids have pretty much grown up here. We've been here since 2011-ish. Uh, but then I, uh, it was recently, like a year ago, I think, Nathan, that I joined with the elder team uh, here, here at, the, at White Rock. And uh, in fact, some of you have kind of elbowed me and, and you've asked me like, so how is it? And I'm like, how is what? You know, well, you've been an elder for a year now, you know, how is everything? And it's been good. I'm not sure it's that different than when I was an elder candidate. There's a real uh, collegiality, a spirit of unity and diversity that's a, that's a part of that team. And uh, a tremendous heart from everyone uh, to shepherd our church well. Um, last week, I think Clayton, you know, this week is uh, taking a break and Jeff is taking a break. And so Kyle, thank you. He and I are pinch hitting for the team today. Uh, but last week I was just mentioned to Clayton too, just that I've appreciated the last while, the kind of liturgy and the, the worship and how the gospel kind of threads through the whole service. And, um, I think that that part of what came out of that was from the, some of the staff's sabbatical time, uh, where they did that. But, you know, as I've reflected on the liturgy that we have here in our corporate worship, I think it's fantastic. But this morning, as we think about Hebrews 11, I want to call us to build a liturgy in our life by purposing in our hearts to walk with God by faith, no matter what. And so to build in our, our daily rhythms a liturgy of this walking with God by faith, no matter what. Uh, the book of Hebrews is a wonderful book. It's almost like a sermon in the way it's written. And it conveys the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ as a new and living way to know, to please, and to find resilience in the faith. And last week, uh, Gary was here, our guest speaker, Gary Brandenburg, and he examined Abel's faith as he offered a more acceptable sacrifice and this week, we're continuing through Hebrews 11 with emphasis on five, verses 5 and 6 to learn about Enoch's faith and how we can emulate him. And it's a good timing because it is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you all. This is a challenge for us to emulate Enoch and to have a positive influence for the next generations as fathers as we purpose in our heart to walk with God. But it's really for all of us to continue to build this cohesion. I mean, you just sense it. I said it to Kyle and I've said it to others. When we have the meet and greet time, it's like, and you just sit and listen. It's like one voice. Um, I've been working at Dallas Seminary many years and I oversee one of their doctoral programs there. And I work with a lot of pastors who are working in a lot of churches. And we have our challenges, but we are so blessed because of the kind of cohesion that's here. But friends, we need to keep fueling that cohesion and that's why purposing our hearts to walk with God and what we're going to learn this morning is so important. Now, what's interesting is that we first learn the example of Enoch's faith back in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 32. I won't read through all those 32 verses, but I want to read the first uh, four and, and then parts of it to emphasize some important observations as we walk through the, the, the message today. Genesis 5, verses 1 through 4. This is the book of the generations of Adam. 
When God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Now what's fascinating in the first verse, this is the book of generations by Adam. It almost raises this kind of a question is whatever happened to Adam and his family after the fall? And so here, 10 generations are outlined, kind of their journey. And then there's Enoch, seventh generation from Adam through the line of Seth, Adam and Eve's third son. But Enoch was a little different. He didn't live or die like the others. See, what's fascinating in the, in the Hebrew text there's this emphasis with each generation that they lived and they died. They lived and they died. Remember, death was a result of the fall. But then we get to the seventh generation and we're introduced first in verse 18 through 20 where Jared uh, was the father of Enoch. And then verse 21 of chapter 5 through 24, listen to what it says. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And then look at verse 24. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Everyone else lived and died, lived and died, lived and died. And then we catch a glimpse of hope from the consequences of the fall of death and separation from God. And we see Enoch, he didn't live and die. He just walked with God and he was not. And he walked with God. Enoch just walked with God. And so there's this incredible walk that Enoch has, and it leaves a legacy that is continued through his great-grandson, you may remember him, named Noah, who was righteous and blameless in his generation. And Noah also walked with God. Genesis 6-9 says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Even as apostasy against God increased that would eventually lead to the flood, Enoch was commended as one who walked with God. But what's interesting is that there's not a lot of detail, at least in this part of Scripture, of what walking with God looks like. And so that's where Hebrews 11 helps us to unpack that whole aspect of walking with God. And so in just a minute, we want to dig into Hebrews 11, 5 and 6 which helps us to understand exactly what a part of walking with God looks like. Before we do that, let's just pause and pray and ask God to prepare hearts and minds to receive the truths that he has for us this morning through his word. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, uh, for the love of Christ that's so a part of our church family. And Lord, we pray that you would build in us, that you would help us to purpose our hearts to walk with you by faith no matter what. 
that, Lord, that this would be a liturgy, not just on Sunday morning, but that would be integrated into our whole life. Father, we pray that you would help us to please you and to find rest in you and to seek you, uh, Lord, with every ounce fiber of energy that you provide for us. And we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 11.5, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And then the first part of verse six, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. The first observation about walking with God is this, that walking with God by faith pleases him. It pleases God. And it's interesting here, and I don't know if you know this or not, or if you recall this or not, there's actually two Enochs in the Bible. And there's another Enoch, the son of Cain, who turns away from God's presence. And Cain has this son Enoch, and he creates this big city, and he names the city Enoch. This is different than the Enoch son of Jared, and we need to make sure that we know uh, that, that distinction. But it's interesting, back in Genesis, one more chapter before chapter 5 and chapter 4, verse 16 and 17 reads this, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, Nod means wandering, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. So you've got the Enoch that turns away, but then you've got Enoch, son of Jared, who turns towards God's presence, not away from God's presence, and he walks with the Lord. And this is just an important distinction. Walking with God pleases him as this emphasizes our turning toward the Lord. It's the idea of walking and step with him by faith to his cadence. As a young person uh, back in Canada, where I'm originally from, I had joined Army Cadets, the 42nd Gray and Simcoe Foresters was the name of the group. And one of the things they drilled into us was a drill. And if you wanted to please the commanding officer, you needed to follow the cadence. In fact, they would teach us the cadence uh, through, through a kind of a, a song that we would sing. And it goes something like this. One can't hear you, two a little louder, three that's better, four now you've got it. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And it would repeat in that same kind of rhythm. That pleases the commanding officer when we walk and step with him. I'll never forget the time I was in, we were in North Carolina and uh, pastoring a small church there. And there was a four-lane kind of highway, not quite as busy as Northwest Highway here, but it was right in front of the church. And there was this one family after there really flustered, and I didn't know what had happened. Well, one of their kiddos took off running from them straight into the traffic, and they finally got him just in time, but they were just unraveled because of, you know, what could have happened but it pleases us as parents, right? When our kids hold our hand and, no, don't go there. You know, you're going to get hurt. It pleases them. When we walk with God and we walk in step with the Lord, it pleases him. What's fascinating in the book of Hebrews, that letter that was written, they were struggling with the same thing. Some were completely turning away. And if you survey the book, there's words like disbelief, hardness of heart, 
willful disobedience, trampling the Son of God. And then there's others that kind of would, would run ahead, and it would just be the outworking of immaturity, of impatience, expediency, trying to make things work apart from God, apart from the Lord and on my own. And then others are described as spiritual laziness, an apathy, a drifting away, a giving up, shrinking back, losing confidence. And so you see through Hebrews this call to turn towards the Lord, not to turn away from the Lord, not to run ahead from the Lord, or to drag behind. If a person who knows you best were to think through these things, would they describe you as a person who turns away, runs ahead, or drags behind in your walk with the Lord? Friends, we've got to keep turning towards the Lord, not away from Him. We have to make sure that we're not being too impatient and impulsive, running ahead of what God wants. But then we can't be so cautious and we have the analysis of paralysis and we drag behind and we lag behind. You see, walking by faith with God in step with his cadence and his loving leadership pleases him. And it's to be commended. Wouldn't it be incredible if we could all grow as a community, as a family of a people that has a renewed purpose in our heart to walk with God by faith to please him? There's a second area this morning that uh, is really important for us to understand. In verse 6, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards. Let's stop there. Must believe that he exists and that he rewards. You see, walking with God not only pleases him, when we walk with God by faith, it ultimately means that we put our confidence and our rest in who God is, both in his existence and also his benevolence. Um, some of you maybe are familiar with C.S. Lewis, and you know he's been described as kind of a hard-boiled atheist that goes through this journey of complete disbelief to uh, kind of a theistic view of God. And then eventually he puts his faith in Christ. And of course, it's Tolkien that God worked through that influenced him towards putting his faith in Christ. And there are discussions uh, about the great old stories or the myths of old and how there's these echoes of the true myth, what Tolkien called the true myth of the gospel. C.S. Lewis self-described himself as the most reluctant convert in all of England. Now I wonder, I'm not sure any of us here are atheists this morning. Maybe you're still wrestling through some of these questions in the existence of God. But I know in my own heart that I can say, Lord, I believe that you're sovereign. I believe you're in control of all these things. And then I look in the mirror and I say, Scott, why are you so filled with anxiety? Why are you burdened by that if you really believe me? And what happens is, in the outworkings of our walk with God, we almost become practical atheists. We believe, kind of, 
But do we really believe that God exists, that he's transcendent, he's the creator of all, that he's sovereign, that he's wise, that he's all-powerful, that God knows and God has a way through this difficulty? And then the other part of it, right, it's not just God's transcendence, but it's also God's imminence that we see here, that he rewards, that there's grace and kindness, that he rewards us, he blesses us, he lavishes God's love, and it's most evident in the incarnation of Jesus giving his life sacrificially in death, burial, and resurrection, where he satisfies the wrath of God and brings forgiveness from sin by grace through faith. We need to draw near to God, but we have to know from the bottom of our heart that he's a great God who is and who knows us and loves us personally and fully. And we put our full confidence not in us, but in the finished work of Christ on the cross, that Christ died in our place as a substitute for our sin. And it is the power of Christ at work in us to walk with God by faith. Friends, walking with God isn't really about our works. It's about the work of Christ on Calvary for us. And out of the overflow, his power works in us and through us. But knowing that truth teaches us that to walk with God by faith is to rest in him and to put our full confidence in him and in him alone. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, it uses the same kind of language of drawing near and it's just so powerful. I want to read it for us to, as a reminder. Chapter 10 of Hebrews 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, I don't know if you had a chance to go to the Messiah. Um, it was a mosaic temple. Messiah's Mansion. Uh, Debbie and I took our kiddos there. We went there. And it was awesome because you walk through the tabernacle from the Old Testament and you learn all the symbolism and how it points to Christ. That Jesus is the Lamb of God. He doesn't just cover over our sins. He takes our sins away. And we can know him. We can know God and draw near to God and have direct access to God through his work, on the, through Christ's work on the cross. I love what uh, Ron Rand writes in his book for fathers who aren't in heaven. He says this, Michael usually takes his family out each week to see a movie or sports event. When they come home, they make a fire in the fireplace and pop, pop popcorn. During one of these evenings, 
little Billy made a real pest of himself in the car on the drive home. So he was punished by being sent to his bedroom while the rest of the family had popcorn. After the family had the fire going and the popcorn ready, Michael went back to Billy's room and he said, son, you go out with the others. I'll stay here and take your punishment. Uh, Rand concludes with this. He says, through Michael's action, the entire family experienced a vivid example of what Jesus did for everyone. You know how much he loves us, loves you. And he meets us right where we are and brings hope. And we can put our full confidence and rest in him. It's true it pleases God when we turn toward him and walk and step with him by faith and rest in him with full confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, finish work on the cross. However, there's one more important ingredient according to Hebrews 11.6. And maybe you see it there. He rewards who? Those who seek him. I love the NIV translation, some other translations where they have earnestly seeking him. The idea is that we walking with God not only pleases God, it's not only when we rest in him in the gospel, but walking with God seeks him earnestly, diligently, continually seeking to know him and to do his will. And there's four areas this morning I want us to highlight of different aspects of walking with God where we're seeking to know him and to love him well. The first, when we walk with God, we need to seek him in the word and prayer. Scripture and prayer is so important because there we see his heart. We learn his will. We understand God's character and his trustworthiness. We're reminded of that assurance of direct access to God through faith in Christ. And we can have direct communication with him. Friends, we've got to be a community that reads the scriptures. And maybe you're a part of a book study or a Bible study or discipleship program here in the community. Keep it up. We need to do that. Maybe some of you are reading through the one-year Bible plan. Others, you love the book of Psalms and you work through the Psalms. Dr. John Hanna, a well-known church historian and colleague, he said this. He said, every major movement of God in American history has been rooted in preaching, prayer, and a commitment to a very high view of the Bible. I think of my uh, father-in-law who we're hoping to have lunch with this afternoon for Father's Day. He's 87 now. And there's one thing that he has not forgotten. And, and he's so disciplined in it. And that's his quiet time with the Lord. I mean, you can count on him every day, at 80, even at 87, where he'll sit down on the couch, he'll pull his devotional book, and he'll have his quiet time with the Lord and connect with him through scripture and prayer. Fathers, we need to raise the bar. Do we model this in our homes to the level that God wants us to? Walking with God is to seek him and to know him. And it begins with the scripture and with prayer. We also need to seek him not only in word and prayer, but through surrender and obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Learning absolute surrender, where we only want to do the will of God, where we're willing to be set apart and be different, a light in a dark world, 
a testimony with a legacy of faith for future generations. Praying over and over and over again in our own garden of Gethsemane's, not my will, but your will be done. Uh, There's a spiritual discipline. I think uh, Ignatius of Loyola writes about it and others have popularized it called the spiritual discipline of apathy. And so if you think about it, like you come to a fork in the road in your walk with the Lord and you've got option A, B, and C, and you really, really, really want to do option B, but you know option A and C are also a couple of the options. And it's like learning the apathy where it's like, Lord, I just want to do your will, whether it's A, whether it's B, whether it's C. Just show me your will and give me courage and faith to follow you down that path, whatever the option. This is the discipline, the spiritual discipline of apathy, apathy where we align the desires of our heart is to only do the will of God. Seeking God in the word and prayer, seeking him through surrender and obedience, seeking him through family and community. It takes a village for us to deepen and strengthen and grow our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll never forget the time I kind of came to a fork in the road. And we were in North Carolina at the time. And uh, I'd been pastoring a small church there. The church had quite a story. The founding pastor of this small church was working on a sermon one Saturday. And uh, he ended up having a massive heart attack and died. And the Lord led Debbie and I and our family there to kind of help them heal through that journey. And we had been there maybe three and a half years or so. And I just remember as a, as a pastor at that time, I had certain aspirations and goals and hopes for the church. But it was like, there's always these obstacles that get in the way of it. And it was January of 2008, I'll never forget it, where I just had a moment with the Lord and I just surrendered. I said, Lord, you know what I hope to see here, but I know clearly that I'm called to love the people and preach the word. And I have to give these other areas over to you. And I did that. Now, it was crazy that shortly, a couple months after that, the Lord threw a wrench into everything. So I get a call from a mentor named Dr. John Reed, who he's with the Lord now, but he worked at Dallas Seminary. And he said, Scott, he called me up. Kind of, it was a Tuesday out of the blue. He said, Scott, I've turned 80 now, and they've asked me to find my replacement. This was 15 years ago when I received that call, more than 15 years ago now. Uh, it all blurs together. And uh, he said, Scott, are you sitting down? I said, no, I can sit down. And he said, Scott, we really, they've asked me to find my replacement. Would you consider you know, coming to DTS and taking my place. And I said, Dr. Reed, I'm humbled and honored, but I'm too young. And I'm still young. I was even younger then, right? I was 35. And uh, I said, give me another 10 years and then I would be ready. And uh, of course, some of the professors, if you know DTS, they're like, they have like Jedi powers. You will come to Dallas Seminary, you know, and it works. Oh my goodness. But he said, well, at least pray about it because I think you're the right age with the right training the pa- pastor's heart and the credentials and all that. And so I agreed to pray about it. Well, I agonized for days, literally t- to tears. And, I, and Debbie was so gracious with me. And then she finally, she said, honey, why don't, why don't you just call some of the people that know us and know you well, just to see what they would say, you know? And, and so I went ahead, I called six individuals and it was fascinating. Each call there was the same kind of theme that threaded through each call independently, and it was this. Don't make a decision out of emotion. Go through the process 
and let God show clearly what his will is. And so we did. You know, I ended up agreeing to go, and I, went, I remember interviewing with the Sanhedrin. Um, there was about 18 individuals. <laughs> and if you know academia, you know, you, you would get it. But, um, and I'll never forget one of the, they're gracious, but one of the interviewers said, Scott, you know, you're really young, and the students are going to be a lot older than you. And are you sure that you're going to be okay? And I just, I kind of put my hands in the air. I said, well, what am I supposed to do? Grow a big beard? And uh, it was so funny. One of the kindest professors raised his hand and he had a big beard. He said, that's what I did. (laughs) Oh, long story short, I've been there 15 years and it's been a joy. I love the students and it's been a special call. But it's that process, right, of seeking the Lord in the, in the word and prayer, of, of surrender and obedience and only wanting to do God's will. But we can't do it alone. We need to lean on community of family and of friends that know us well and processes through the seminary as a larger community to discern what God's will is sometimes. Well, there's a fourth and final area of walking with God as we seek him. And that is to seek him through suffering and hardship. Some of us could be like Abel and experience unjust death. But he was a man of faith. Maybe we could be like Enoch. If the Lord returns in our lifetime and we could be ushered up with the Lord. Regardless, we must keep the long view, the eternal view in mind to keep hopeful in the faith, even in the midst of the trials and tragedy of living in a broken world in these broken times. And I could go through a whole litany of all the the joys and sometimes facetiously I'll call it the joys of life and ministry, but the hardships that we've been through. And many of you know some of those hardships that we've been through. And And we could ask any one of us to stand and even now you might be going through some tremendous hardship or some loved ones that are dear to your heart. You're watching them suffer and you're like, you want to fix it. You want to get in there and help them, but you can't. But one of the most incredible ways to seek God and to walk with God is to learn to seek him even in the midst of the tears. Because his presence is so real and he's right there with us and he's working through that suffering to help us learn how to walk with him in new ways. Um, Jerry Bridges in his book, Trusting God, he said this, we can be sure that the development of a beautiful Christ-like character will not occur without adversity. Think of those lovely graces that Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and 23. The first four traits he mentions, love, joy, peace, and patience. They can only be developed in the womb of adversity. Friends, this morning, can you imagine if we as one purpose in our hearts, a liturgy of life where we walk with God by faith no matter what. And it pleases him. And we learn in new ways to rest in the finished work of Christ and to seek him earnestly and diligently and continually 
through the scriptures and prayer and surrender and obedience and family and community and suffering and hardship. Can you imagine if we grow together in our families, in our own walk and in our families and in our communities, the difference it will make? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the example of Enoch and his legacy of purposing in his heart his 300 years from when he walked with the Lord until you ushered him home. His example of walking by faith and not by sight. His example of walking by faith no matter what the circumstances or around. Father, we just pray this morning that you would help us to walk in step with your cadence, that you would be glorified, that you would be pleased, that the gospel be proclaimed, and that your will would be done for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.